The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. You know, I'll be honest, I've been trying to do this series for a couple of years now. But every time I got ready to do it, I just didn't feel it was time. And God gave other directions and took us in in other ways. But now here we are, and it's time. (laughs) It's exciting because of what God is bringing to us. And as I've I've titled the series, Joy No Matter What, we're beginning going to look at a book that is so full of joy. Any Christian who is feeling down or discouraged about anything ought to study the book of Philippians. And this is true because Paul's circumstances when he wrote it were so difficult. Uh, He had been kept in prison for two years in Caesarea. He had been held in Caesar's jail in Rome. He had survived perilous shipwrecks at sea. He he had been deserted by most of his friends. Others, even Christian leaders, spoke ill of him, hoping to get him in even more trouble with the government. He was facing possible execution for his faith. I mean, terrible. Yet, no book in the Bible is so full of joy as Philippians. So, what was Paul's secret? How could he remain so joyful in these circumstances? Well, we're going to find out over the next several weeks together as we go through this book. But it's not just uh, for joy or discouragement. Uh, Even though there are only 104 verses in this book, most of the major doctrines are also covered in this book. Uh, The chief theme of the book is encouragement. And you and I should have some goals. And I would pray that as we get into this study that you might start to think, okay, what do I want to get out of this book? And maybe jot some goals down. Here's just a couple things I want us to get out of this. First, that there will be conversions to Jesus Christ. I mean, when people come and listen and begin to understand what true joy is and that it's available to all who come to Christ, I would pray that you would be excited to bring people in, that you would want others to come and hear this amazing truth. Number two, that there will be growth in personal commitment and holiness on the part of Christians. That we would all together make a more purposed commitment to holiness and to the life Christ has for us. And number three, that there would be an expanding concern for others. You know, when you and I get excited about something, we want to share it, don't we? Uh, We want to talk about it. I know uh, yesterday, with my son being in England, he kept texting me about the spring game. Okay, how'd the quarterbacks look? How'd this look? How'd that look? Where do we stand? What's this, that? So we're going back because he's excited about it. And I wonder, when you and I get genuinely excited about Christ, there ought to be within all of us a desire to share it, to let others know of this amazing grace. Now, as I have stated... Philippians is one of the most joyous books in the Bible. All the way through the letter, Paul speaks of inner joy and happiness. Sixteen times in four brief chapters. And he does it in such a way 
that we're confident that as he advises us to rejoice always in the Lord, we know that he has found the true source of joy. He had not only learned in whatever state he was in to be content, but he had learned to rejoice in whatever state he was in. How many of you can say that this morning? Just consider some of the verses of this book. Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Philippians 3.10, That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Philippians 4.11, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. Philippians 4 through 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And then, of course, who can forget Philippians 4.13 or 4.19? And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Every need. The book of Philippians is also noteworthy for its great doctrinal statements. It's not intended to as a doctrinal thesis as our Romans and Galatians, but it's still filled nonetheless with doctrine. Paul thought doctrine. I mean, doctrine flowed from his mind and his heart as the Spirit led him. Consequently, as one commentator put it, great expressions of Christian truth fell like ripe fruit from his pen. I like that. We find the whole argument of Romans found in one verse where Paul writes of his desire to be found in Christ. Philippians 3.9, And to be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith. The sum of his teaching about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15 is found in Philippians 3, 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. When you stop and think of the reality of that statement, our citizenship is in heaven. You see, this life is all we know, but this life can raise us up or bring us down. But would you understand that this isn't our citizenship? We're just passing through. When you know Christ as your Savior, you're being prepared now for an eternity with Him. That's what life is all about. And so we're going to be changed, have a potty like His. I mean, just allow those thoughts to permeate you as we go through this study. And, of course, the greatest doctrinal passage about Christ in the Bible, I believe, is found right here in this section in Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. Just look at this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a powerful section about Jesus Christ. Now, in a very special way, the book of Philippians also reveals the mind of Paul. Paul's mind was filled with peace, and he rejoiced in the preaching of the gospel. Now, you have to remember that Paul is writing this letter in the last years of his life while facing the prospect of imminent death because of his stand for Christ. Except for Timothy, a few old friends, and Epaphroditus, who was about to deliver this letter to Macedonia, Paul was all alone and in time was forgotten by most. Proof of this is in the fact that when Onesiphorus, a visitor to Rome, tried to find Paul, nobody could tell him where Paul was. I mean, just imagine this. The Apostle Paul, that great statesman for Christ, author of so much of the New Testament, was forgotten and left in a dingy, dirty prison. So, what is the secret of joy? Why did Paul have joy in a place and time like this? And why do so few people have it today? What was Paul's secret? Well, the secret is a simple one. Paul filled his mind with Christ. Now, I have read somewhere that the brain can't think of two things at the same time. You can't be thinking about the pain in your back and chocolate cake at the same time. Similarly, you can't be thinking about your problems at the same moment you're thinking about Jesus Christ. And this Paul knew. He knew it theoretically, and he knew it practically. Consequently, he filled his mind with Christ. So you really begin to see that when things went awry for Paul... Instead of dwelling on the problem, he looked to Christ. Lord, what are you doing? What am I about to experience that's your will? You know, you go into the book of Job and you find later on in the book very clearly that Job says that his problems came from God. Well, you know, in today's society, we don't like to hear that. All we want to hear is that God gives good things and everything's wonderful. But God works just as strongly in trials as he does in joy. He works just as strong in difficulties as he does in success. And Paul knew that practically and spiritually. We see the most, this most notable in the number of times Paul speaks of the name of Christ. I mean, did you know that the name of Christ or Jesus Christ occurs 17 times in the first chapter alone? I mean, that's almost once every two verses. Paul speaks of joy many times, but even this is overshadowed by the number of times he mentions Christ. Paul longed to know Jesus, and he longed to know him well. He had achieved many things, humanly speaking. He was a noted rabbi. He was a natural-born leader. He had been educated by Gamaliel. He was brilliant. He had achieved so much. And yet, listen to what Paul says about his achievements. Philippians 3.8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. The ESV uses the word rubbish. It's a very nice way of saying dung. And you know what we call that today. He counted all his achievements as waste compared to the excellency of Jesus Christ. So how much we need that today? There are so many points of interest in Christendom today. Everyone argues what's important. But Paul makes it clear that there is nothing more important than knowing Christ to the full. Like Paul, the more you know Jesus Christ, the more you know true joy. The more you know Jesus Christ, the more you know contentment. The more you know Jesus Christ, the more you know peace. This is the secret of a happy, fulfilled life. You see, joy is not a trouble-free life. Joy is knowing you've got an answer in the midst of it. Joy is not eliminating your problems. Joy is knowing that when the problems come through Christ, they are going to be great stepping stones to greater things. It's not the power of positive thinking. It's the power of positive surrender. And that is what moves God's people. And that's where we're headed in this study. And then we come to the mind of Christ. It's true, then, that the letter of the Philippians is important as an opening into the mind of Paul. But what is even more important is that it gives us an opening into the mind of Christ. Few sections in the Bible give us a comparable picture. Uh, there is nothing like this in the great doctrinal books. They tell the meaning of Jesus' coming and the significance of his life and ministry and death and resurrection, but they do not tell us much about the workings of Christ's mind. These insights are not really given in the Gospels either, for these are records of what Jesus said and what he did. And certainly, looking at that, we can have an idea of what's in his mind. But when we have to find out what moves in Christ's mind, there's no better passage than right here in Philippians 2. Just think of, uh, listen to verses 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. So here we have Jesus Christ, God. Colossians tells us that he created everything and by him all things consist. In other words, he not only created the universe and everything in it, including you and I, but he also holds everything together. And nothing happens apart from his will. And here he is sitting in royalty in, in the glories of heaven with God the Father in the Spirit. But because of his love for you and I, and because of the Father's great joy that our sins be paid for, 
Jesus humbled himself. He, he didn't think, he didn't have it in his mind that staying in the form of God was more important than taking on the form of man and coming for you. He, the God of the heavens, humbled himself, and the creator became the created and walked on this earth. These verses tell us that Christ's coming to earth involved two things that were in his mind, humility and obedience. In practice, humility consists of two parts. First, relinquishing what we have, and secondly, often receiving something that is generally regarded as inferior. Now, get this. In our humanness, we think we know what's best for us. So, we're reluctant to give up anything that we deem important. So, surrendering ourselves to Christ in our minds seems to be leading us into a life that we won't like. But Paul tells us that Jesus laid it all aside and took the form of man. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard the illustration about how hunters used to catch monkeys. Monkeys are, are greedy creatures, and they can be caught by a combination of curiosity, greed, and ingenuity. And what they used to do is they used to take jars, and they would fill them with brightly colored beads, and they would anchor them firmly into the ground. The monkeys would come along, they'd see the beads, and they'd want them, and they'd reach into the jar to get them, but with their full hands and a big fist, they couldn't get their hands back out of the jar. Instead of letting go and maybe coming back at it, they would sit there because they didn't want to let go of the beads until their captors came and put them in cages. You know, unfortunately, we're just like those monkeys. We become fascinated by some imagined prize, and we refuse to let it go even if it destroys us. Jesus was not like this. The Bible says that Jesus did let go. He laid aside the glories of heaven. He relaxed his hand, as it were. He became man and died for you and I. Second, Paul says that Christ's emptying of himself also involved obedience to the Father. Christ died in obedience to the wishes of the Father. Now, did you ever think that it was obedience that carried our Lord to the cross? It was love for sure. In fact, we read in Galatians 2.20 that Christ loved us and gave himself for us. But it was also obedience, an obedience that did not always become easily, did not always come easily to him as the struggles in Gethsemane show us. Christ was obedient, and because he was obedient, Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because of humility and obedience... Let me ask you something this morning. Does your knee bow? 
Does your knee bow to the will of God in humble obedience? You see, we struggle with the fact that surely we know what's right for us. But God is the author of what's right for you. And he is the one who, if we obey completely, will lead us to mountains we never knew existed. And this is what Paul wants to get through in the book of Philippians. This is why Paul said, look, folks, I've learned that whatever state I'm in to be content, well, who can be content in prison? Who could be content being shipwrecked? Who can be content being whipped to an inch of his life by a cat of nine tails? Who can be content being forgotten when you've done so much to minister to so many people? Paul's joy was in Christ and not himself. And what is it we're always talking about here? It's not about me. We live for him the point of which we were created. And Paul embraced that. He understood that. And he was so passionate about it that he wanted to know Christ even in his death and suffering. What an amazing opportunity that is laid before us. And what about the mind of you and me? We've looked at the mind of Christ and the mind of Paul briefly. But does Philippians speak of your mind? Well, yes, it does. For in the very section that speaks of the wonderful mind of Christ, Paul writes in Philippians 2.5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I think the King James says it better and more clearly. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Christians, think like Christ thought. Desire as he desired. Live your life as he lived his. Let him be your pattern. The mind of Christ and the mind of the believer should be one. Jesus is the pattern. We should be like him. For Jesus, that meant emptying self in obedience to God the Father. For us... It means centering our lives on Jesus Christ. The whole book of Philippians is about Paul striving to have the mind of Christ and the overwhelming joy that was brought by having that mind. And that should be your goal and my goal. And so what this study in the book is going to require of all of us is we're going to be having to ask ourselves a question every day. Am I willing to give up what I think is right in order to embrace what Christ says is right? Am I willing to give up the pattern of my life if it's in conflict with the pattern Christ has for me? Remember, before the foundation of the world, God ordained that we should bear fruit and that we should walk in it. And so... There is a reality brought clear in Scripture that for all of us who seek Christ, there is a life already set aside for us. 
There is achievements, there is goals, there is joy, there is peace, there is long-suffering. There is all these fruits that God has already put into place for you and I. question is, how bad do you want it? Or are you just so important that you're the center of your own universe? This is what's so key here. Now, there's also a great illustration of this that comes from astronomy. For thousands of years before Copernicus... People thought that the moon, the sun, the planets, and all the stars revolved around the earth. This was known as the Ptolemaic system. It was a good system in that it could foretell the sunrise and the time of the sunrise and the sunset. It could chart the alteration of the heavens, but it was wrong. Because the sun is the center of our solar system and not the earth, it was inevitable that the Ptolemaic system would have defects. First, It was not always accurate, particularly in charting the positions of the planets. This system caused confusion in many things, and especially when new new things were discovered in astronomy and new planets, they always were in conflict with that system, and it caused mass confusion. Uh, Moreover, it was only under the Copernic... uh, Couldn't say it. Copernic... (laughs) I lost how to say it. Copernicus. I should have written it down. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. It was under that system that Newton's theories of gravity worked, and it was only under that system, that new system, that spaceships were able to leave the earth and and explore space. Do you see the application here? You live within a spectacular system that has a fixed core of Jesus Christ. Christ is the center of the system. Christ is the center of our life. Christ is the center of all existence. That's the system we live under. But many people today, and perhaps even you, imagine that they are the center of the system. As far as people can see, the system works quite well. They serve themselves and and generally get what they want. But this human-centered system has defects, just as the Ptolemaic system of astronomy did. In the first place, it's not accurate. It predicts a certain measure of success, but when that doesn't happen, there's failure and confusion. And it also doesn't predict what happens when you finally get what you've achieved and there's nothing else left. It's not this way for Christians. For those who see things the way God wants everyone to see them, there is continual joy and progress. Christ is the center of the system, the center of the spiritual universe. The Bible tells us that in this system there is infinite progress, for it is based on reality and on the nature of God and not our human nature. So the question we're going to have to ask every day, will you accept your place in God's system? Because here's the reality. God's system is the only system that works. We see all kinds of achievement and progress in this world. 
we see so many, many and varied opinions on life. We see one person advocating this, another advocating this. Everybody has a way, but there's only one that's right, and that's Christ. And when you just stop long enough to realize and evaluate that, if I have truly accepted Christ as my Savior, I'm going to be in that system for eternity. Why do I want to live any other way? Why would I try to take matters into my own hand and go my own way? Why wouldn't I just surrender to the amazing truth we have? And if you'll just think about this, you and I are born in a time and live in an age when the truth has been given to us. We don't have to sit back and wonder what is life about, what is meant by this. We live in a time when the Word of God is freely there. We live in a time when we live in a country where it's free to open it and study it. We live in a time understanding that when God gave His life for us, not only did He give His life, but He gave us His Spirit to continue to guide us in the Word of God. We have every resource we need to be all God wants us to be. And Paul knew that. Paul was not just an apostle by, by his decree or an apostle by vocation. He was an apostle because his heart just burst for Christ. He had to preach. He had to teach. He had to get the message out because he knew the reality of God and the joy that was set before him. So when you and I begin to realize that in God's system, every need you have, he will supply. But in his system, not yours. And how often do we butt our heads against the wall, trying to get square pegs and round holes, when the truth is say, look, follow me. Now, I want to assure you of one thing as we go forward. And this is not prosperity gospel, okay? But I want you to know this. I can assure you of one thing by this series. You will discover the true plan for achieving joy, peace, and happiness. But it will be God's plan, not yours. I promise you, on the authority of the Scriptures, that if you will hang here, you will find joy, peace, and happiness. They're not going to take your problems away. They're not going to dissolve. They may. That's not the goal. The goal is for you and I to understand what real peace is, no matter what. And as the title of the series says, joy no matter what. And believe me, I get it. And I want you to get it too. So be in prayer. Be excited about what's coming. And let's together just knock this out of the park. I can't do it standing up here. You've got to do it there. Let's see what God is going to do in the hearts and lives of all of us. And Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to just...
go to this amazing book. You know how long I've wanted to get into it, but it wasn't your time. And now, Lord, I just pray that you would move in all our hearts with such a passion and compassion that we would not only change personally, but that we would reach out to those around us and give them a reason to change. And may we all draw everyone together, bringing everyone in, that we might give glory to you and see your amazing joy that you've promised to all of us. And I'll thank you for what you're going to do, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless.